listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. I love those songs we sang today, and I love those scriptures that we've read and these pictures that we've seen, and I hope I can do justice to this message that I think the Lord has given me for today. It is, um, it's not the easiest one for me, I think, to deliver. It, it requires almost more, more beauty than I have or, or more poetry. I, I wish I was a poet or uh, an actor, a performer, because this, this needs to be needs to be shown more than it needs to simply be told. You know, at Oasis, um, we don't use vestments. Like, I, I don't wear a robe, and we don't, we don't change the colors that we kind of present to you, um, as some traditional churches do. But if you do kind of look around at these icons on the screen, or on the walls, excuse me, they do kind of represent not only the church calendar in their years, but also the color of those years. So starting on, on my left or right, we have Advent, and then Christmas, and then Epiphany, which celebrates the baptism of Jesus, and then Lent, uh, Eastertide, and this season we're in now, Pentecost. And you'll see there in the icon of Pentecost, the reason it's red is because in the West, the color for Pentecost was red. It was the, it was the fire of Pentecost. It was about power and and boldness, and it's definitely the, you know, the Pentecost that I grew up with. But in the East, uh, the Eastern churches don't celebrate Pentecost with the red color, but with green. And there's something I really like about that. The, the green is, is the color of life. It's the color of new life. It's the color of nature. Um, have you ever wondered, you know, why? Why is, you know, so much of the earth green and so much of the sky blue? Like, why, why those colors? I mean, what if, what if the earth was white and the sky was hot pink? I mean, I guess that was an option, right? That God could have, God could have used those colors. It might, it might have, I mean, feel painful to us. But if that had been our norm and somebody suggested that the grass should be green and the sky should be blue, we would go like, ooh, how awful would that be, Right? But God's creation is beautiful because God is beautiful. And I'm with the transcendentalist on this one. So Emerson and Thoreau and, and that whole crowd, that kind of fine God in nature. So uh, how many of you um, prefer the beach? Are you beachgoers? We are Floridians, right? So... We like to be there. We like to be there when the sun rises. We like to be there when the sun sets. We like the sound of the beach, right? We like the sound of the ocean. It's, it's a peaceful kind of sound to it. Or maybe even the smell, the salt in the air. Like if it wasn't so hot and so sandy. <laughs> How many of you like the mountains? Ah, yeah. So the mountains, that's another whole different experience, right? The humidity is low. The air is crisp. They have, their, they have a majesty about them. There's hardly a place I would rather be than kind of at the foot of a waterfall, 
kind of in the mountains, kind of the rumble of the water. I connect with it. I find God there. I believe God is there. So there is a beauty uh, that is in nature that I think reflects a truth about God. And sometimes in the midst of our lives and the kind of the hum and the drum and the, the repetition and the, and the mundaneness of our lives, we sometimes forget, I think, that God is beautiful and that God has created a beautiful place for us to be. And that that beauty can kind of, when we reflect on it and we experience it, can kind of lift us. It lifts us up. It's what, it's what poetry can do. It's what songs can do. It's what we do when we, when we sing. I mean, I'm, I'm with Leslie. I, I, I tear up a bit. I teared up several times kind of in the song service just today. Just reflecting and thinking and feeling. Um, one of the places that I, this happens for me is in the movies. I love the movies. I mean, I love going to the movies. Um, I'm always wanting to get a bigger screen for the house, you know, to, to make, make that experience more like the movies. And I particularly like movies that are beautifully uh, shot, right? It's not just the story they're telling, it's what I'm seeing. So I'm a big fan of Terrence Malick. Like, I don't know if you know that name, but he's probably one of my favorite directors. He did A Tree of Life uh, with Brad Pitt. Did you see that one? No? Uh, he did A Hidden Life. Uh, the, the story of, of Franz Jaeger's daughter, that was less popular even. If you didn't hear Tree of Life, I know you didn't hear of yeah, Hidden Life. Um, you should look those up. He has an acquired taste, so you, so you might not like it, but he, his films have very little dialogue in them. Like they're told through his cinematography, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Another one that I would recommend, and this one you actually can follow. It's bizarre, too, but you can follow it. It's called The Life of Pi. Do you guys remember that one? All right, put it on your list, The Life of Pi. It has a lot to do with faith and doubt about belief, about, you know, is science real or is religion real? It kind of deals with those things, and the, the main character is just... I can't talk much about it because it would be a spoiler, but it's, it's a really good one, too. So... Those are my recommendations for today. Anything by Terrence Malick, particularly Tree of Life and A Hidden Life, and then The Life of Pi. I don't even know who made it. But if I had hours and hours, and Angela would say, I don't have hours and hours, <laughs> I would show you clip after clip after clip of just beautiful scenes and so that we could experience the beauty that we're talking about. But one of my favorite films is Darren Aronofsky's Noah. Now, I know it got a bad rap, uh, particularly in kind of Christian circles. They felt like he kind of really went off script. But I think that was much to do about nothing, really. It's, it's a beautiful film, and he followed very closely with kind of Jewish ways of interpreting the story. So he really leaned into Jewish interpretations like Midrash and other texts like First Enoch and Jubilees and things. But this is not a defense of Aronofsky's Noah, but... I have a lot to think and say about that, too. But in the film, Noah uh, has had his visions and dreams uh, about what God wants him to do. But the reality that he's living in is a kind of a post-industrial world that's been destroyed. So he needs to build an ark. 
but there's not the resources with which to do it because the world has become so evil that they've destroyed the natural resources. Like that's why the flood's coming is to kind of deal with the evil that's there, but the evil has caused all this destruction. So he goes to his grandfather, Methuselah, who's played by Anthony Hopkins in the film. Noah's played by Russell Crowe. And Methuselah gets him a seed from the Garden of Eden. And he plants that seed from the Garden of Eden. And it produces this, this uh, avalanche of creation. When I think about creation, with all of its potential for goodness and the, the beauty, it gives me hope. It gives me hope because we serve a creating and loving God who's created a world that is full of abundance. However, if I'm honest, I see that the world often doesn't live up to its potential. We forget where we are from, and we resort to all sorts of evil and violence. Life gets hard, and we need reminders about the goodness and the beauty of God. The title of our sermon today is The Fire and the Rose. The fire and the rose become one is the very last line in T.S. Eliot's poem, Little Gidding. And, and that, that poem was the fourth poem in his series of poems called The Four Quartets. Originally written independently, but later kind of pulled together as Eliot's kind of reflection on humanity, on the human condition, on how it is that we experience time and how we experience God. You can see kind of Dante's influence on Eliot, and I probably shouldn't speak too much about this because, again, uh, poetry is not my specialty. I hear poetry and I have to ask somebody else, what does that mean? <laughs> right? But this, if I'm understanding Eliot correctly, as he's talking about the fire and the rose, the fire is the fire of Pentecost. It's the fire that purges, it's purgation, it's, it's purification. Like the fire of God is not destructive of creation or of people. The fire of God is restorative. The fire of God purifies us. It makes us what we can be and what we should be. It doesn't kind of destroy us. So this is where the fire and the rose become one. I think the rose, throughout the poem, the rose kind of represents England, which for Eliot is home and family and country and, you know, togetherness, like the things that we celebrate on, on Memorial Day and Fourth of July and Labor Day. You know, it's like family picnics things. But it's a little deeper than that because the rose also represents the love of God. So the fire of God and the love of God become one because it's God's work in our lives. And this is what I think these passages of Scripture speak to. Um, I want to try and tie a red thread through all these different texts that we've heard today. So I'm going to start with the one from 1 Samuel. So in this story, right, this is the story of Samuel calling David. And Saul is dead, and now what are we going to do? And so, so Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and he says, um, I'm here. And they're going, man, are you here for, you know, he's a, he's a judge, so this could be bad news. He goes, no, I've come in peace. I'm, I'm going to anoint a king. Bring me your sons. And so they bring the first son and the second son and the third son and the fourth son and the sixth son, right? And each one, man, the sons look great. They're tall. They're handsome. They're strong. They're smart. And, and, and God's like, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. 
And Samuel's like, you got any more? Are, anybody else here? And there goes, well, there's the youngest. He's like out there taking care of the sheep somewhere. He says, well, go get him because I'm not done. I'm going to stand right here until we get this work done. So they go and get David and they bring him in. And, you know, he's kind of this snotty nose, you know, curly haired, bright eyed kid. And they said, yeah, that's the one. And it says this in 1 Samuel. It says, this is 16.7b, the second half of verse 7. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I want you to hear this today. That when you look at your life, no matter how good it is or no matter how bad it is, no matter how great your time is going now, or if you feel like you're suffering more than ever, I want you to know that God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the inside. God looks at your heart. And it's the work that God is doing there. And you might think, oh, I don't want God to look at my heart. <laughs> right? my, my, my heart is full of, of, of ambition and, and greed. And you know, maybe, maybe God shouldn't, we shouldn't talk about what's actually in here. No, God knows you. And God sees you. And God loves you. And so I don't want you to underestimate yourself. God has made you. And the way I think we can get through this is we need God to move. And so we ask the question, is God going to move? Do we serve a God who does move? And the answer to that is always yes. We know that we serve a God who moves because God has already moved, particularly in Jesus. We can see the work that God did in Jesus. Now, it's not as though Jesus lived a life without any troubles, right? We all know how he died, right? So Jesus had his troubles, but God was at work in him. And even though Jesus experienced kind of the worst possible end, it ended up not being the end. Like, we serve not just the God who creates, we serve the God who creates again. We, the Spirit is the Spirit of life, but the Spirit is also the Spirit of new life. The Spirit is the Spirit of creation, but the Spirit is the Spirit of new creation. And this, I think, is the thread that kind of ties through the Psalms that uh, Leslie was reading to us earlier. Real quickly... In Psalm 20, which this is one of the psalms that we did a devotional on earlier this week, but it's the psalm for today as well, or one of them. There's multiple psalms. In Psalm 20, it starts off in the second person. It's talking about you and the victory that you are having. So I think we could read that and we're like, oh, you, you is me? <laughs> no, you is not you. <laughs> when, you're reading, when you're reading the psalm and it says you... <laughs> You should read it as the psalmist, right? You're, you're supposed to take on the point of the view. A psalm is, is like a song, and it's like you're singing it. Or it could be like a prayer, like you're praying it. So you take on the voice of the psalmist. So when it's talking about your victory, that would be you talking about someone else's victory, right? If it's talking about praying for your victory, how, what God's going to do for you, you should read that as like an intercession. You are praying for someone. 
Now we hope in the community, right? Eventually one of the youths out there might be praying for me. But that's not what the psalm is doing here. The psalm starts in the second person and it says you. And then it shifts to the third person. And it talks about the Lord's anointed. Now, if I were an Old Testament scholar and this was a classroom, I would say that's obviously King David. He's God's anointed king. But I'm not an Old Testament scholar, and this is a sanctuary, and I'm trying to preach to you. And so I think as Christians, we read God's anointed one as Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. That's the one that God is giving victory to. So we have been praying for your victory, and then we see the your that we're talking about turns out to be God's anointed, which is Jesus. So we shift from second person to third person, us praying for you, Jesus, to talking in the third person about the Lord's anointed. But then the psalm ends in the first person plural. We have a victory. They will collapse and fall, but we shall rise and stand upright. They trust in chariots and horses, but you, that's Jesus, as a Christian reading of this text, have trusted in the word of the Lord our God. So now we have victory. So our victory is, is dependent upon the victory of Christ. But the good news is, Christ is already victorious. And that's the work that's, that's kind of passing through the psalm. A similar thing happens in the Ezekiel passage that, that Wayne read for us. I know it's very poetic and kind of, it's a little hard to follow, but again, it kind of talks about God speaking and God's like, I'm going to take this, this, sprit, this twig, right, off of this tree and I'm going to make it a tree and I'm going to take down the big trees and I'm going to lift up the little trees. And I'm thinking in my kind of stunted way of appreciation of poetry, what is that supposed to mean? But then I think I get it. And I think it, it comes again in the idea of person. It starts with the second, excuse me, it starts with the third person singular. And it says this, the righteous one flourishes like the palm tree and grows like a cedar in Lebanon. And again, if I'm doing a Christological reading, the righteous one that's going to flourish is Jesus. But immediately it changes from the third person singular, talking about Jesus, to the third person plural, talking about the people of Jesus. And it says, they are planted in the house of the Lord our God, and they flourish in the courts of God. That's us. I mean, Paul would say it like this. Did you all not know that your bodies are members of the body of Christ? And did you all not know that y'all's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That we are disciples of Jesus. And so that our outcome will be like his outcome. We, we follow him. And so if he has victory, we have victory. Now, now, he has suffered, so we will suffer. But again, that's not the end of the story. And I think what this message this fire when the fire and rose become one is a story about how this is a tale about how the story ends the fire and the rose become one god's fire and god's love will accomplish their goal and in that we will stand we will overcome we will see kind of the positive outcome that we've longed for 
I love this. This is a passage in, the, in that Ezekiel passage. It says, talking about the trees, right? They are planted in the house of the Lord and they will flourish in the courts of our God, which I take to be us. It says, in old age, they will still produce fruit. Can I get an amen? Come on, you got to give me a better one than that. Thank you. In old age, they will still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap. Look, your life isn't over. God is at work at whatever stage of life you're in. Like you might be young and you have your whole life in front of you. And of course you think I've got a lot to do. And the truth is, yes, you have a lot to do. God's going to do a lot in your life. Maybe you're young and your kids are young and you're kind of just experiencing those things. Yeah, look, look. be blessed. But maybe you're starting to grow old or maybe you've experienced some struggles or maybe you find yourself kind of wondering how is it that my life came to this? This is not the end. God makes new things. The same God who created all of that nature, all those beaches, all those sunsets, all those mountains, all those waterfalls, all those birds that chirp in the morning, the, the, the beautiful, the smell, the fragrances, everything that, that lifts your soul. And I don't know what it is that lifts your soul. Maybe going hunting and fishing lifts your soul. Maybe um, having a really well-curated uh, playlist, right, can lift your soul. But those things that lift your soul aren't just natural things. Those are the things of God. All beauty is God's beauty. And God's beauty is designed to reveal who God is so that we can have a life that is actually filled with love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness, right? It's filled with the Spirit. It's not a, it's not a life that's dull and, and, and difficult and mundane. I know life can be that way, but that's why music, that's why good food, that's why things that smell nice, that's why these things that remind us who we are and whose we are lift us up out of these things. Lastly, there's the passage that, that, um, that Wayne read for us out of 2 Corinthians. And it says that if Christ has died, then all have died. And if Christ is risen, then all will be risen. Right? This is, and in Christ then, we are all new creatures. This newness that we are, I think, is different than the newness in the beginning. The newness in the beginning seemed to be out of nothing, right? The theologians will call it ex nihilo. It's Latin, right? God created out of nothing. But this new creation that God creates out of, through the Spirit in Paul here in 2 Corinthians is not a creation out of nothing. It's a creation out of the old. It's, it's not ex nihilo. It's ex vetera. It's not out of nothing. It's out of something. It's out of the old. It's... It's taking us and everything that we have experienced, right? 
Richard Rohr calls this in this book, everything belongs, right? Everything that we've experienced, the good things and the bad things, and the so-so things, and the mundane things. You know, I've eaten a lot of food in my life, <laughs> more than I should have probably. Some of it was just so-so, and I'm thinking, why did I eat that? And I've eaten other food in my life, and I thought, man, that's some of the best stuff I've ever had in my life. I need to do that again, right? It's joyful, yeah? All of those things. We are not our accomplishments. We are not uh, our accolades. We're not what we think about ourselves or, for that matter, what other people think about us. Our truest self, our true identity is who we are in Christ. And that is a good and beautiful thing. And that thing, that new thing that God creates has no limits. It particularly has no time limit. I, was, I, I didn't write it down, but I looked up a lot of people who kind of did things, quote unquote, later in life. You know, people whose names you would recognize and their first kind of financial success happened in their 60s or their first publication, you know, kind of came in, in their 70s. And you, and you think of them as like a well-known author. And they didn't publish anything into their 70s. Or they painted, but no one knew that they were a painter until quite like the second half of life. The, there are no limits. There are no time limits. There are no financial limits. There are no... Um, your, your expectations are not limits on what God can do in this new thing, in this new creation. So how do we respond to a message like this about the fire and the rose? We be faithful. We keep coming. We keep praying. We engage in worship. We lift up our hearts. We lift up our heads. It's one of the things I love about the psalmist. I mean, we should read the psalms maybe more often, right? The psalm says sometimes like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I mean, listen to that. That's, that's like you're talking to yourself. You know, a lot of scripture is God's words to us, but part of scripture is like our words back to God, <laughs> Right, the Psalms are, are songs, right, that are written to God, right? They're prayers to God. Sometimes they're laments, but sometimes they're thanksgivings. Sometimes they're praises. And sometimes it's not so easy to engage in these things. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Like, come on, soul. <laughs> I know you don't, you don't feel like it, but come on, soul. It's time to bless the Lord. That's how we respond. And I think we should, we should do what we can to remind ourselves of the beauty and goodness of God. Because it's in the reminding of that that will give us the energy and the, the, the fortitude, the, the, pers the persistence that we need. Right? The, the strength for the journey comes. Christ is working in us. Let the beauty of nature, let the sweet sounds of music encourage, encourage your hearts, for God is good. Eat good food and enjoy it. There is a time for fasting, but there's also a time for feasting. As I said earlier, the spirit is the spirit of life. The spirit is the spirit of creation. 
But I think for today, the message that we need to hear is the spirit is the spirit of new creation. And God can do a new thing in you. God can do a new thing in your family, in your children, in your body, in in your life. That's the God we serve. That's the God we love. That's who we've placed our hope in. So my hope for you is that you can do that. If you're not good at, I'm not particularly good at making playlists. So don't call me on that one. I actually have Angela make playlists for me. I'm like, hey, can you put together a playlist? Right? And then I, and then I have my Amazon Echo play it for me when I'm in the office. And it, it does. It kind of lifts my heart. Look for beautiful things. For in the beauty you will find God. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.